Hey everyone, it's Mark, and I just quickly want to say thank you, because this week is a very special episode. It is the 25th episode of the Think Differently podcast, and I could not have done this without all of you taking time to listen and to reach out or subscribe, download, review it on iTunes. I just want to thank you and send an immense gratitude to anybody that hears this in the world, wherever you are. Thank you, because 25 episodes is a big deal. And so for the last 25 weeks. Every week I've sat down with a new creative, innovative, just people that think differently. And it just means so much that people are enjoying the show. So truly from the bottom of my heart, from the basement of my house, my home studio, from Chicago, Illinois, to all of you, I just want to say thank you. And I do have a very special guest this week. So on to this 25th episode of the Think Differently podcast. From Chicago, Illinois, this is Think Differently a show that explores people who are challenging the status quo and how they do their work and choose to live their life. From doctors and designers to entrepreneurs and artists, hear the stories, learn the insights, and see what it takes to think differently. Hey everyone, it's Mark and welcome to a special, special 25th episode of the Think Differently podcast. When I started this podcast, I really was seeking out to speak with the most creative and innovative people I know that think differently about how they do their work or choose to live their life. And for this special 25th episode, there is no greater guest than Chris Conley. He literally is just somebody that I put at the very top of the shelf of people that I aspire to be like, the people that inspire me in the work that I do. See, Chris was the co-founder of a company called Gravity Tank, and in the early 90s, he pioneered the application of user research to inspire design and teams. Basically, he truly thinks differently about the way that we do work, and he uh, founded this company called Gravity Tank, and anybody that knows anything about Gravity Tank will tell you it was the most fun, happy, inspiring place to be because he built a culture of just innovation there, and the way that people did the work just inspired them to be human and to be fun and to get work done. So again, if you are right now sitting at home, you know, during quarantine and work is killing you, you need to listen to this episode because Chris Conley thinks differently about work. What's up, Chris? Hey, Mark. How are you? Um, I feel like I start every episode off by saying I'm really excited, but oh my gosh, I'm really excited uh, to talk to you. And, and I'm probably going to make you really uncomfortable, as I said before, because be I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, I appreciate that. It's great to great to connect and great to be here. And uh, let's see where it goes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm having like fanboy moments here. So let, let me, let me just like, so people don't think I'm totally crazy. Let me give you, give you some sort of an intro here. So for people that probably might listen to the podcast or see my stuff online, they always hear this word design thinking. Mark's a design thinker. He has a design thinking mindset. I help people with design thinking. My parents would never know what that means, but you right. to me, you're like my king of design thinking. You are the guy when I think oh, nice. design thinking, your, your little <laughs> avatar that you put online comes to mind. You're like my Kelly brothers, right? Um, and so you have done a, a, a huge career of work, but really it's all been centered around building and designing and researching things and building things that help meet people's needs, which is, you know, kind of uh, the opposite of people that just build stuff and hope people like it. You've actually made a whole career, uh, a very impactful career around doing just that, finding people's needs, exploring them, researching them, and then building these things. And you've done this at a scale to me that is just out of this world. You've worked at Motorola, you've helped design programs and taught at the Illinois Institute of Technology, uh, Institute of Design. You started your own company, Gravity Tank. I have a great Gravity Tank story about me being a nice. fanboy of Gravity <laughs> Tank. I'll share that later. Um, you have a new offering, Abundant Professionals, where you, Abundant Professional, where you are literally just helping everyone from nonprofits uh, across the country really nice. think about how we design things that people want and need and make their lives better. Is that a decent summation of you? Uh, it's great. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the, the current term that we use design thinking, uh, it wasn't always called that. And I think that's what we're using now and it could change again. Uh, you know, I think equity centered uh, design is coming in there as a really nice evolution of the term, but yeah, it's about uh looking at the world differently. And I think this, that's why I was excited to be on your podcast because we have Anywhere I see something that says think differently, I'm like, yes, that's, I want to associate myself with that kind of 
platform. And it's, it's, it's a great summary. I have been fortunate to make my whole career about looking at the world with fresh eyes in new ways through people's experience and helping people pursue business strategies, new programs, ways to serve uh, with the intent to make that awesome for the people they want to serve. And, you know, who, who wouldn't want to have a, <laughs> a career path like that? And then, of course, all the teaching. You know, I remember I came out of engineering and mm -hmm. I still remember entering the design school as a grad, you know, as a mechanical engineer. And they were coming up with ideas for how things could be. And I'm like, where does that come from? How do you do that? How do you know that's going to be good? What do you, where is that mindset and thinking come from of just imagining new stuff versus being told what the parameters are, which yeah, I think yeah. most of the world, most of education comes from that whole world of, you know, here's, here's the set problem we want you to solve. And in fact, we mm -hmm. kind of know what the answer is. So can you just go do that? Um, and I still remember that feeling of not knowing how to do that kind of work. And so, you know, started very early on saying, I'm going to make this, I'm going to remove this mystery of design, which is the creation of new things in the world, basically, um, how to design the world, things, products, services, environments uh, for other people and help other people realize it's not that highly specialized activity. In fact, it's quite human. So. Yeah, when I hear you say that, I think of this quote I once heard, which was that all children are born scientists and then they go to school. And really, yeah. like the right, the core of that is that we're we're kind of naturally inquisitive, right? Like we want to like Absolutely. eat dirt. We want. I mean, I have a one year old at home right now, right? He wants to see what's behind the door. How do these things work? But then we go to an institution that is trying to kind of box you in in some ways, and you've you've kind of demystified that. You've kind of broken those chains and say there can be learning that occurs and really really empathetic, deep, intrinsic ways that help change ideas and the way we come up with ideas. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm so glad you brought this up early. I was like, you know, you just, you know, think about what you want to talk about thinking differently and, and education is a big one for me. Uh, and of course it was Mark Twain that said, uh, don't let school get in the way of your education. And I, I fully believe that I was, I've done some great work with the Kellogg Foundation uh, from Battle Creek, Michigan in figuring out how to give kids who have dropped out of high school an alternative path to a successful career. Mm -hmm. And I think they were truly insightful when they said, you know, anybody that drops out of high school, we give up on them. Uh, and, and it's a huge uh, talent pool. And why do we do that? Isn't there some other way they can be supported just because they don't fit into the school system, which is a, you know, a nine to five job that you start early in your life. And if your family is struggling or if you have to work or, I mean, there's so many reasons why the standard educational model doesn't work for a good part of the population. Uh, how do you think differently about that? How do you start seeing everyone? And I truly believe this, every kid uh, is nothing but potential, is nothing but uh, creativity and mm -hmm. skills and curiosity that can be um, put to value in the world that they can, and your job as an educator is to help them find that, not to tell them they're not smart, not to tell them they can't do math. <laughs> like it's so <laughs> bad. Uh, and I think if we just nurtured our kids again, and I, I really lay the blame, not on teachers. I lay the blame on, uh, you know, school system administrators that figure out at a very yeah. high level, all these top down, testing protocols and new ways of teaching math and ways to, you know, the harder we try, like the worse the kids do in school and nobody's <laughs> not nobody, but why don't people ask the question, how can we bring our kids up in a better way? How can we teach them? And I think the current, you know, we're doing this during the COVID uh, uh, teach from home, learn from home. Mm -hmm. And I think people are going to be surprised at how resilient the kids are. Now that doesn't mean a lot of kids are struggling because they have the same, challenges at home with resources and being able to focus and concentrate through a digital means. But it's a great learning opportunity, both for education and families and kids to kind of reflect on what education is really about and how to nurture our kids and have experiences. I mean, my daughter's down there. She's in class right now. Um, and we'd had, we had to coordinate, like, I'm going to be recording a podcast with Mark later. And she's like, well, I might be on. I was like, that's fine. We can 
everybody knows what's going on right now. Yeah, um, there's no like how many meetings have you been on? Like my daughter, I have this like cutout behind me of my daughter, but sometimes she actually peeks her head around. I'm like, wait, is that perfect. is that really her? And I'm like, it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So yeah, education uh needs to be rethought and thought differently as well. So yeah, you you had this thing at Gravity Tank, and, and maybe we can start talking a little bit about this. So Gravity sure. Tank was like your baby, right? This was a company that you started that really helped companies and organizations identify, you know, again, how to utilize a new mindset and new and some potentially some new frameworks. You had the work differently framework, which by the way, yeah. oh my God, I, I can't believe I never thought about this, but I remember when I started thinking about think differently, right? So the two things, just to let you know where my head was at is I think behind me there, yeah, there's a Jim Henson poster, which was from the oh, original nice. uh, Apple think the think different uh, campaign. And I was like, think differently. Right. It's not like think different. And that's like Apple. And then literally uh, like right on that same line, I'm like, well, shit, I'm like, Gravity Tank and Chris, they've got work differently. They're going to think I stole their stuff. And somebody gave me this advice. They said, you should be so lucky that they even notice you. They're like, if, <laughs> if you, you should, the best problem that's you right. can have is that somebody's like, hey, I think that's mine. And I was like, hey, you know what? That's all right. I'll take that. Um, but at exactly. Gravity Tank, I first got introduced to Gravity Tank because it was during the first Chicago Ideas Week, which is a big, oh, nice. you know, kind of... Uh, for those that don't know, Chicago uh, puts on a huge, almost like an, uh, an innovationist type festival, if you will, uh, conference every year. I think it's in October, and it brings you know great thinkers and, and, and doers and actors and, and you know world world figures to Chicago to explore you know new ideas. And there's there's yeah. series of talks and there's labs you can go to. But at that time, I was teaching in Chicago public schools. I had a nonprofit with nice. my best friend Colin. We started a nonprofit called Science Fist. And somehow I got invited to come to Gravity Tank with a group of other teachers and just ideate and, and kind of like re explore uh. what types of programs students of Chicago would like in Chicago Ideas Week. And I can tell you that the minute, first off, I was like, this was like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for a guy like me, like back in like 2006. <laughs> like, right. Holy shit, I, I, the doors are opening, there should be music. And I walked in and I saw the movable whiteboards and I saw, you know, all the artifacts, the post-it notes. And I'm like, I felt like the chubby girl in the Blind Melon music video that, fight, you know, dressed as the, she was dressed as a bumblebee walking around LA and everyone's right. laughing at her. <laughs> and at the end, she finally finds all these other people dressed like, you know, bumblebees and they had found their nice. tribe. When I walked into Gravity Tank, I'm like, holy shit, this is the spot. And that's how I first kind of learned about you guys. But what you did Beautiful. there and, you know, through all those case studies of places, people you worked with, ideas you came up with, that was like your baby, man, right? Like you, you made yeah. Gravity Tank. That's right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I got started really early in the field uh, and in modestly, you know, help build the field. Uh, working with IDEO very early on. Actually, I did all the original human-centered research for IDEO that wasn't human factors, that wasn't, uh, you know, the physical human factors. Uh, and so I started doing that work very early on and got to, got to be friends with Bill Moggridge, one of the co-founders of IDEO. And he interviewed me for one of the Stanford D schools magazines that he was publishing at one point, just said, you know, what's your, what's your, what design are you most proud of uh, in your career? Uh, and you know, everybody's answering all the different products or services that they design. And I was like, Gravity Tank is the design I'm most proud of because we were so intentional about what that place was about. Um, and in fact, Think Differently was a very core part of creating that studio. So, you know, I have a saying, or I don't have a saying, I follow the saying, don't make, uh, make no difference between work and play. Uh, and my wife shares that as well. And I was indeed partners with my wife in the business. She was a partner. She was the uh, person that made everything run, COO. And this whole notion that your work life has to be so separate from your personal life, what you love to do. And I'm not an advocate of overworking so that your personal life takes a hit. The question mm -hmm. is, how do you make work life enjoyable every day for you and the people you work with? And that is a core principle of Gravity Tank. We had a number of ways we did that from everything from uh, considering hosting a major part of our practice. And what does that mean? Well, every day we host 
our employees. We get the, you know, the opportunity to bring them into work and benefit from their talent. So how are you going to treat them? Uh, how should we work together? Uh, why don't we have snack in the afternoon every day where we can come together and say hi? Why aren't we celebrating birthdays and people's accomplish accomplishments? Why aren't we asking each other what you love to do outside of work and then go do that with them or have them do a show and tell on their knitting or woodworking or whatever it is like people are I have another saying that your colleagues are way more interesting than you know because there's yeah. such a surface level understanding of the people you work with this goes for your colleagues this goes for your clients this goes for anybody you work with and to break down the the business world and make it more personal make it more social uh, is something we strive to do at Gravity Tank and that never <laughs> This is what everybody's worried about who kind of follows a traditional business. Like, we got to get more serious and do business. Like, right. people don't realize that when you host people and you make them feel comfortable and you celebrate their talents and you uh, celebrate them for, for everything they are, their work gets better. They feel, they feel more uh, inclined to take a risk or try something new or give you better critique or take their critique. You know, it's just, it makes a stronger, more resilient organization. And that's, that's what I'm most proud of is, you know, people who have come and gone from gravity tank, everybody looks back and knows that it was one damn special place because of how it was to be there. Just like you said, you feel something when you go in and part of that is environment. And we are, we're intentional mm -hmm. about the environment and a lot of it is because of how human-centered we were with each other and our clients. So there's something really interesting there, which is that not everybody thinks that way. You're right. A lot of and I do. I mean, there's a lot of corporate innovation stuff that I get to do, and like that kind of like is on that other side of the fence, unfortunately, sometimes. <laughs> right. But like, right. um, <laughs> but where does that come from? Because there. To have a mindset that even understands, knows, uh, employs an empathetic and a design thinking mindset that, you know, it's things that we could learn and be aware of. But like, I got a feeling if you built a company where those tenants were core to your being, it was your most proud design. Like, where does that come from? Because you were an engineer by trade, right? And, and traditionally, engineers traditionally are kind of X's and O's, kind of binary, right? Like, here's the designs, design this thing-ish. They're, they're very creative until they go to uh, engineering school. <laughs> so, yes, you're right. Which you're I did right. the research right, on for the National Science Foundation. And everybody tells a story of being inspired before going to engineering school by a rocket launch or their uncle who was an engineer and was creating things. And they wanted to create things. And then they went to school and they learned that the world shoved them into this box and they had to be serious about you know, these anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. No, but it's yeah. it's true because you, yep. you, it's what you were talking about with education, which is this idea that like the place where you should go, like the the institution that we have to nurture that by you know it should really grow people's ability to think and and to do and to learn yeah. and to have skills it just doesn't do that right it's like going to a yeah. gym and instead of having like gym equipment there's like hostess and little debbie snack cakes right it's like the place <laughs> you go that's supposed to do the good it's not always doing like the best for for all the people some people do good right. in school and they go on they have careers and they're happy yeah, but absolutely. what i want to get back to is like was Where there a from? Yeah, like was there a void where you had worked places that weren't so great and you wanted to make a better place? Are you an empathetic person by nature? Like where did that come from? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. One is I'm definitely an empathetic person by nature. Uh, I now look back and think about all the way back to high school, middle school even, uh, maybe some early programs. And this, goes, this gets into the whole notion of uh, justice for all and uh, anti-racism. I felt that very early on in my life. Uh, I don't know why. I think it comes maybe from my grandmother's side. I was very close to my grandmother and heard her stories. She would always tell stories. She was a caterer in Chicago and got to cater um, great parties of very famous people, everybody from Evil Knievel to the mayor to uh, movie stars. And she would tell stories about them. We're all behind the scenes. And behind the scenes, they're all regular people, you know. Uh, and I have, so I have this very deep empathy and connection with other people. Um, I'm fascinated by people. I could sit uh, in a cafe and watch people all day. Uh, I have a, 
an idea of doing an art project where I wear a microphone, uh, a boom microphone and walk around downtown. And as you hear people's conversations as you go past them, it's great to hear like this little snippet and you wonder, oh, I wonder what their life is like, or I wonder what they're talking about. And some people are stressed and some people are laughing and talking to somebody over the phone. Anyway, I'm curious about people and I'm not only curious about them, I believe in everybody. I believe that there's something deeply uh, creative and talented about anyone. And it's just their life is the journey of finding that and expressing themselves fully in their work and their play and their family, et cetera. So that's part of it. The other part is I believe that, you know, I, I was a student of creativity um, from very early age. I wanted to draw and all that kind of stuff. So I was fascinated with this notion of creativity because I think it's a eternal fountain of value <laughs> that doesn't have to, you don't use it up. You can't use it up. Right. Yeah. So if, and then I, as I worked in organizations, or maybe as I grew up, you know, there's always constraints, there's always limits. And I always thought, like, why does it have to be that way? That simple question of why not address this? And when I got into design, and, you know, I had an idea of what an engineer does. And an engineer, because I worked as an engineer as a summer student, you know, we went into work at seven. We took breaks every couple hours and by three o'clock we were on the golf course and this was in a small town, but it was a very simple life, a very uh, organized. We didn't pull all-nighters. We went in the next day and, you know, turned on the lab equipment and started running the tests again. And then I got into this design world and there was this whole kind of what I considered unhealthy dynamic of all-nighters and working too hard and, you know, not working too hard, but working so hard for, you know, what would seem like not the same amount of money or reward as these other professions. And I thought if design's going to be a profession, why do we work this way? Why do we um, just put everything into this bucket of, I made a creation in here, hope you like it. And so the, where it comes from is this question of why is it like that? Um, and then doing the things, making the decisions and doing the things to break that convention which again, I think conventions and orthodoxies uh, rule most people's lives or rule most mm -hmm. you know, institutional things they're involved in. And people don't ask, how can this be different? Why do we, and you, there's a telltale sign. People do it and they complain about it. And I call it comfortably dysfunctional. <laughs> we operate within it and then we complain about it. And we reflect on it and go, I'm not doing that again. And then you do it again. Um, and I think this notion of being able to break that cycle is really exciting to me, is to break that convention, is to think of ways, how would we work differently um, if we weren't going to pull all-nighters, if we were going to be seen as professionals uh, by all industries and not as like the creatives that, yeah, they work all, they work really hard and then they go off and then you don't see them for six months until the next creative uh, project. So that's where it comes from. It, and I apply it to any project I'm in, any company I found, how could this be different? Um, how could we grow Gravity Tank in this case? How can we establish little principles, cultural rituals, et cetera, that aren't false, they're just genuine decisions. And I think this is the key. It's a decision you make about how to be. And a lot of people, because of those business conventions or things we've been told, don't make those decisions. And then I will tell you, it's like, so I all I can do is encourage everybody in, who's listening that pursuing ideas that are obvious to you, but somehow conflict with the world, pursue it. Because eventually people will be asking how, you know, and this happened very early in my career, how do you get people to pay for user research? You know, all the design firms wanted to know how I was getting people, getting clients to pay for that upfront research where you went out and saw how people lived their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, well, I don't convince them to do it. We, you know, the way I started, it was just by doing it, not telling them I was going to do it. I, was, I went out and did it anyway, and then brought the video and the research into the project without getting permission. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, this is really valuable. You know, this is, and so you have to find a way to get out of the convention without permission. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're looking for permission, then you're proposing it. And somebody who doesn't understand it will go, no, we're, we don't want to do it that way. 
And so I think that's where it comes from. Deep empathy, deep curiosity and creativity, and then decision-making about we're going to do it this way and we're going to figure out, even though you run into stumbling blocks, even though not everybody says yes, even though, you know, there's, it's not a easy path, you decide that's how you're going to live and that's how you're going to work. So like the thing that comes in my mind when I hear you talk about all of that is like there for, for a lot of people that might be listening to this, that don't think that way, that might be kind of more typical, maybe like a nine to five or kind of a thing or pulling the all nighters, et cetera, is that there's a fear, right? There's, there's a fear yeah, of doing something different. And so for you to take these learnings in, in an empathetic mindset and, and seeing, you know, whether you were an engineer or then the field of design and be like, it should be different. It could be different, but then going to build it and like not knowing what the future holds, like there's, there's, there's gotta be an element of fear or perhaps uncertainty or what's on the other side of this. And so how do you personally, how do you deal with stuff like that? Because there's a lot of people that have ideas, but they get stuck by the, the kind of, um, you know, the industrial complex that tells them no, the format or the institution that's not built for that, or just years of being squandered and squandered. How do you personally say, no, I I believe in this enough and I'm going to conquer any fear that might be there. Yeah. Uh, I think two things. One is, um, I don't, I don't fear uncertainty. That's for sure. And, you know, I, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't fear uncertainty in certain places where I'm comfortable. Because <laughs> uh, there's always something I, I'm telling myself I want to do um, that I uh, definitely have those other voices which are going, well, what are they going to think? And what are they going to think? So, I, I mean, everybody still has that, right? So mm-hmm. how do you accomplishment? I think the second thing I would say is you start with action. Uh, you start with a step where you can feel the benefit personally and go, oh yeah, that, that really helped me understand something deeper. Like I want to, I want to better understand this thing. And I think we should go talk to people about it. Well, just go talk to somebody and just do one, just do that. Mm. Just do the first phone call to invite somebody to have a conversation with you about X, Y, or Z. Um, and this is the thing that we, that, you know, and this is, people are guilty of this on a very high level. Organizations and institutions are guilty of this because they stay in planning mode. They stay in planning arm's length research mode where they keep asking questions and they keep doing research, but they don't engage. They don't go, you know, in the film world, it's breaking the fourth wall, the third wall or the fourth wall. Yeah. (laughs) So you have to break that, you have to break that wall and identify where you think it's uncomfortable. And actually this is, this is something when we would start projects at gravity tank, I'm like, okay, what things don't we know about and what could we do to learn more about that? And which ones of those do we feel are most out of reach that we couldn't do, you know, calling up somebody really important or going somewhere in the world or uh, getting access behind the scenes of a place that doesn't allow access. Okay. Let's try to do that thing first and get over that huge hump <laughs> yeah. of fear or that there's a mountain by doing something. And it, it, you know, it's the, when you sent a note the other day that we wanted to get together for coffee and you made mention of your new, new podcast. And I was like, that would be cool. Like, I wonder if I could be on his podcast. <laughs> like, I put it in the note. Like, I'm not sure you were asking. I don't think you were asking, but if you want me to be on, like, I would love to, you know, be on the podcast with you. And of course we made a connection and then we're, now we're doing it. Yeah. A week, a week later. So, and yeah, were there fears like, Oh, do I really want to be on the podcast? Do I want to make time? You know, it's just taking action. And the, that especially when you're in an institution, because that's the most common question I get. Um, I teach, continue to teach uh, healthcare professionals who serve the safety net. So these are healthcare institutions, uh, community clinics, people in rural areas with very um, uh, marginalized and poor populations that don't have access to healthcare. I teach those staff how to work more creatively with fewer resources and how to engage their patients because at every level, no matter whether you're a nonprofit or uh, you know, the biggest fortune 500 company, the way people work with their customers is still arm's length and it's still not human centered. And so even with them, they all say, oh, my organization isn't interested in this. 
Uh, I can't get them to let me talk to a patient. There's HIPAA rules. You know, there's always rules and regulations and constraints. Okay. What's the first, you know, you're not barred from talking to people on Saturday morning in your community. Go talk to somebody about their health care, about this topic on a personal level. It doesn't have to be in the name of the institution. You want to learn more. We're humans. Can you, you can talk to small? people. They're right there. They're they're everywhere you go. Well, maybe not like nowadays, but like pre-COVID, right. like people were everywhere. You you people know what's funny everywhere. is so it God, it's so funny, man. I know my wife listens, but honey, now you know I'm not crazy. There's other people <laughs> like me out there because she always jokes like that um there's a friend of their family who the, the the dad would always talk to strangers and the wife finally had to institute a rule. She goes, You have three minutes. It's the three-minute rule. I know because she sees it coming a mile away. They're walking down the street, right. and he's like, well, right. that guy looks interesting over there. And bam, she goes, three minutes. So they were in, like, Mexico, and she's like, I'm out. She jumped on a bus, and she left him in Mexico, like, in this town that they were in. But, like, that to me, I hear you say, like, the empathy that was built from your grandmother and knowing that people are just people behind the scenes and this other element of you, which is, like, things could be different because I can build things right. that are different. And then just taking that one step, what is the first step in – it usually is just people. It's not stuff, right? I think that's one thing that people that are on the outside looking in, the people that are receivers of products and services, they see it as the thing, but you know that difference when you you know, when you, when you, when you, when you go to a cafe and you get a handcrafted cappuccino or this versus like gas station coffee, it's a different experience. It feels different. We receive it differently, but we don't understand that the first step in building things and making things, whether they're processes, services, products, it's the people, man. And that's really what you've built everything around is like people, right? That's right. I mean, that's very well said. The whole notion that when you get a product service, when you experience a product service or um, an experience, an event, for example, where things are done and you're like, oh, somebody thought a lot about me or us, or they cared. When you can feel care through mm-hmm. a, something that's designed, that's because they were thinking about the people, not the object, not the thing. Uh, that's. I think that's very well stated, Mark. I think that's a... a very deep and apropos insight. Because what do people do when they go evaluate things? They talk about how this doesn't work for them. How, why didn't they think about we were going to be standing in line for 20 minutes and they shoved us into that little room. Like all the criticism is how it made you feel or what you could or couldn't do because of it. It's a personal thing. And so when you're designing new products and services or when you're thinking about a program you want to launch, how easy it is it to think, what can we do for the people through this program? Or what can we do differently that would help them understand that we understand them? And that you know, creating that relationship is almost the highest value you could ever create. Uh, in, do, you hear the, do you hear the school bell going off? Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's awesome my that's wife is so like cool. are you gonna if you're recording a podcast is it gonna be a trouble if the school bell goes off that's so awesome you have a school yeah. bell that's so great <laughs> yeah. just get some level of structure in the day yeah <laughs> you know man time. you say when you when we talked about the idea of like the way that the things make you feel that whether it's a thing that you can hold or a thing that you receive etc I've always told my children and like I can pull them in and they'd, they'd validate it. But I say, you know yeah. why your food tastes so good? I say, because I made it with love. The special ingredient that it's because, and I do, I, God, I love making my, if I have a, a yeah. rough day or whether my diabetes are up or down, it's whatever it might be. If I'm like, honey, just let me make a dinner. And I, I take so much care in, in knowing that it's, it's how they're going, what the food they like, the, it's seasoned the way. I mean, I know you're like a Absolutely. big food guy which drives me crazy, by the way. You're like the Michael Jordan of like our industry and your Instagram is like bread. You know, it's like, oh, I made this bread. I'm like, dude, that's so cool. Like how cool is this guy that he doesn't even show all the cool (laughs) stuff he does. Um, But anyway, I do say it's made with love. And that to me is one thing that I always, you know, um, I say sometimes about work that it's like, there's a few variables that will be like a yes, Mark's going to do this work. One is like, can I do about 80% of it right now and, and really stretch myself to grow to learn the other 20%, right? That's do I have right. what it takes? Um, the other thing is like, 
can I feel good? Like, am I going to put my head on the pillow at night and feeling good about what I've done? Right. Am I like, you know, helping overpriced drugs get into the hands of people that can't afford it. And like, like, I don't feel good about that. Right. And then the third thing is like, is it an, is it exciting? Right. There's an excitement to it. And to me, the things that excite me, as you said, it's like people, who are the people that this is going to impact? And, you know, I think, uh, when you were talking about the experience difference between like going through something, why, why did they make us wait in this big room and come to the smaller room? Like it's a shitty experience. Um, one thing that just like popped in my head is like, you know, um, I'm kind of like a, a punk rock hippie. So I spent, I mean, nice. I saw the Grateful Dead over like 25 times growing up. Like I grew wow. up in that like community. You're not that and old. So, <laughs> I know I, I went on my first kid. show yeah. I was in eighth grade my brother started yeah. taking me to Grateful Dead shows <laughs> and so awesome. you know there's something about an experience like when you go to see like live music and you're in like Soldier Field and there's like 70,000 people and everyone's dancing you're like wow what a great experience and even that in some way is designed right you know the Grateful Absolutely. Dead didn't pick where people were going to sit but the music the vibe the culture there's some element of of just organic design within that and then the same is really true like if you're just sitting around a campfire and a girl takes out an acoustic guitar you're like this is really cool and those are things that like yeah i guess i guess it makes me think about this question for you is like i've always said that i kind of see when you have this mindset and the mindset again is is we're kind of like summating some of it is an empathetic mindset to help people a creative mindset to understand that we can create things that go out into the world um and then there's kind of like this thing I, I've heard in you. It's like, it could be different, right? Things can be different. Why, why is it this Correct. way? And there's a challenging. I always see the world as like a canvas is what I say. Whether I'm like seeing a, a billboard, I'm like, that's right. I don't think that's really well designed. That could be different, right? Or like, why, why are the aisles set up this way in the grocery store? Like everything is always in my mind going this way. Do you have that? And if so, how do you choose which things you're, you're, you're actually going to take action on? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the things you take action on are the things that matter most. And that could be, you know, your work, because that's how you're getting paid. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's the place people don't take those things seriously the most, or they don't take action the way they could and bring uh, joy and difference and uh, excitement to their colleagues and their clients. So I want to come back to that because you, you, mm-hmm made me think of some things. Um, and, you know, sure, we see, you know, I remember uh, <laughs> you can really get frustrated by looking at everything and trying to redesign it. Uh, my brother-in-law is kind of like that. Uh, Jay Doblin, who was a great mentor, uh, who we can talk about a little bit, um, was like that at the end of his life. He just got, he was a, you know, a designer. He worked in Raymond Lowy's office. Uh, started Doblin Group, which became, or started J. Doblin and Associates, which became Doblin Group, which is where I got my first experience of this more holistic approach to design and business. And uh, there's, there, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Not thinking well, about you, that, I'm like, oh, oh I'm <laughs> thinking about so many memories. Uh, well, bring those but, memories, talk about it. You talked about something about like, you know, designing the way well, that you people work. Yeah, well, what I wanted to say is, um, you know, you kept asking me, what, what is it in me that allowed me to do some of these things? And I'm just remembering all the mentors I've had, um, from Larry Keeley at the Doblin Group to Jay Doblin, who was the founder of that, to Chuck Owen, my professor, all of the people I was kind of exposed to, not, or not all, a good number of people I was exposed to, all the way back to my philosophy teacher in high school. <laughs> and maybe this is just something I resonated with those. People who were questioning the world, who weren't taking things so seriously that they couldn't have time to relate to you or ask a question or do something differently. And that always piqued my interest. Uh, And so I come from, you know, I'm fortunate to have mentors who inspired me. And I think people should seek that out as well. So work with people or find teachers, colleagues, uh, um, anybody who inspires you and, and spend more time with them. And so, for example, the one thing you were talking about, and this is Jay Doblin used to hold, you know, he was a great designer, but he would hold parties in New York in his New York loft, and he would hire, you know, a band, uh, a quartet, have a jazz band playing, 
Um, or for a client, he would create, he would bring in a comedian or something like that to, to perform for 20 minutes at the break or to have a discussion with them. And I maintained that at Gravity Tank. So at one point, Lucas Daniel, um, who was a, an amazing colleague at Gravity Tank, who unfortunately passed away from pancreatic cancer at 30 years old, uh, his father was a writer in TV. He wrote for WKRP in Cincinnati. He wrote uh, Teen Wolf and directed Teen Wolf. But you can't say so, WKRP in Cincinnati without saying <laughs> WKRP in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I was like, wait, Lucas, your dad is a director? I was like, let's have him in for a day at Gravity Tank. I'll interview him in the morning in the event space. Well, I'll just interview him mm -hmm. about his work and how he creates a film and the kinds of decisions he has to make and like, what is that job about? And then he can go around and meet with the different teams and teams can just ask him questions and he can ask questions about the work they do and we'll see if there's some creative engagement, right? And he goes, well, my dad, my dad totally wants to come but he wants to bring his writer friend from Evanston who's a comedy writer. And so they both came and had this, we had this amazing day just because we invited somebody who you would never think, like, why would they come into? And right. In, in here and what you know and of course everybody's like well what are we going to talk to him about when he comes into our are we really going to just share what we're working on what it's like yeah share what you're working on and when he reacts and goes man your lips are moving i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> ask him why like i like yeah. that engagement's really important to get this diversity of thinking or perspectives or point of view and people made amazing connections so one of my calls to action to the audience is do something this week where you create a different experience for yourself or somebody else by calling up a friend, by joining a, a more, maybe a creative Zoom call where people are going to be performing or like do something that intrigues you or piques your curiosity. I wonder what that's about or I wonder if I could talk to that person, then go do it. Mm. And I think that that's just the little thing you need to see the permission give yourself permission to start creating new experiences for yourself and others that is meaningful surprising cure it gives you a lot of energy i mean you have this natural energy mark that i think is endemic of anybody who pursues this kind of work or wants to be more like this in their work life and i think you just got to start trying some things overcome that little bit of fear which isn't just mm -hmm. It's, it's so little compared to the joy you're going to have <laughs> from yeah. taking action on it. Yeah. Tim Ferriss had this great thing in one of his books where he was like, when you're contemplating and taking action, make a list of all the things that would happen if everything went really, really well and make a list of all the things that would happen if the shit hit the fan. And he's like, often the list of things that would happen, like you look at, oh man, like, you know, all these terrible things could happen. He's like, now give that a, a, a ranking. Like how likely is it that the worst case right. scenario is going to happen? And when we do that, we find that often not taking action is more risky than actually taking action. 100%. You, um, so as you were talking about some of the cool things, and I actually, I take that back. I don't want to say that they're cool things because to me, cool is like novelty. This is not novelty. The way that you designed uh, Gravity Tank and even all the work that you've done since then through all the companies that you founded, the, the nonprofits and the boards that you sit on, your, your work, your being, the things that you do, they're not People might think they're cool, but again, to me, cool is novelty. These are authentic. These are well-designed. They're just, they're genuine. It's like how we would want to have work really be, right? All of those things really come to light in one, in one interaction that I had. I have to share this with you. So awesome. because, because I love talking to people and learning about everybody, um, I have this thing where if I go to like a concert or a festival, I mean, if I'm out in public, if I'm with like one of my brothers or if I'm with my wife and she hates doing this, I'm like, we're going to play a game. It's called who can see more people that they know. Right. So we go to like a concert. Right. I'm like, all right, my my brother and I would be at a concert. We just stand Love back it. to back. And I'm like, oh, dude, there's Jason from, you know, Hebrew school. And, and, and it's like you're keeping score. And I come back. I'm like, hey, I'm up three one. You're up two, whatever it is. <laughs> my wife and I went to see a concert last year. Uh, it was a date night and we went up to Milwaukee to see a concert and she was beating me. She was up like three zip. And nice. I was like, Oh my God, this sucks. I always win. Cause I always talk to people. And she, it was the end of the night. The concert's over. She runs to the restroom. I'm, I'm outside waiting. The venue is like 
empty. These like literally only workers left. And I see a woman walking towards me from the end of the hallway in like, I think it's called like Fiserv Arena. I think it's up in, in Milwaukee. It's like their United Center. And I'm like, oh my God, I know this lady. I'm like, I know this lady. Where do I know her from? And I'm like, my brain's right. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I know it's weird. You're, you and I are the only people in this big hallway, but I know you. I'm like, did you like, did you? Oh my work God, at, like, I know you because I'm in a competition. Right, <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'm like, did you work at like IDEO or something? Like, did I see you online? She's like, no. She's like, I, I did work at Gravity Tank. I'm like, <laughs> you worked at Gravity Tank? I'm like, I know Gravity Tank. And that's Chris's place. And they, you know, they sold to Salesforce and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, do I know you? I'm like, no, 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 you don't know me. I just know you because I like stalked the website. I'm like, your name's like Mara or Mara. She's like, yeah, that's me. So her husband comes out and he introduces himself. It was Antonio who did the Dadwell project uh, recently. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I think I kind of know you. Yeah, Maris, Maris, that's yeah, who Maris. it is. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I kind of know you. And we had a conversation. Her husband was like, here's my information. Let's, let's get together. I'm working on a project, dude. And like, to me, <laughs> I don't think that if I, you know, again, I don't want to put anyone on the firing line here, but if I walked up to somebody, you know, from like, uh, I don't know, like KPMG, I don't know if they'd have the culture within them to be like, hey, <laughs> I know you, let's talk. But because of the culture and the people and the brand that yeah. you brought in with Gravity Tank, that's who she was, man. And that was so that's cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, it, it makes me think that people talk nowadays a lot about brand and culture and yada, yada. And I always say that brand and culture, it's not ping pong tables it's not soft drinks it's not the way it's the people that you choose to trust with your vision and the people like that you brought into everything that you've done that's kind of how you help define like that culture yeah i yeah, i was just talking with somebody about this the other day because i'm coaching a couple executives on their creating more relationships with their employees and not being so top down or just being about mm -hmm. business and making decisions all the time and uh it just a couple of weeks ago, I made this comment. I was like, Rem remember, you have to be, you have to be for your employees. And this is, goes to education as well. You got to be for your students, meaning you're looking for places they do something awesome where their talent peeks through and you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. You got to be looking for those things mm. so that you can bring them out and help them succeed in the context versus looking for the ways you're disappointed in what they do, what they didn't see, what you saw, because the way you look at the world is so different. And so at Gravity Tank and, you know, Maris was a very early hire. She came from architecture and like city planning and she wanted to be a user researcher, had no experience. I met with her for a coffee at Starbucks. I said, well, let's meet, let's meet at the, she applied for this user research job. I said, let's meet at Starbucks. And I go, well, you know, I'm trying to get to know who she is, how she thinks about the world. And I was like, okay, and I basically did the call to action today. Go talk to somebody about a topic you care about. And we'll talk next week about what you learned. <laughs> and when she went and did it and came back and was excited and told me all these things she learned, I was like, yeah, you're hired. Like, and then because it's just about finding that spark in people that fit with what you're hoping to do and being in relationship with them and kinship with them and creating that, I mean, that's how you create culture is by being for each other and mm -hmm. supporting each other. You don't create culture by holding people accountable and rating them on a scale of one to 10. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not, Gosh. That's, you know, so anyway, it's, it's, true. it's, you know, what's funny is like behind me here, I just got a box of stuff from my parents' house. It's all my old report cards from growing up. It's an old, oh, my mom man. used to take a, a, a Marshall Field sweater box and we put our report cards. So as I read the report cards, if even starting as early as like third grade, it's like, you know, Mark has spurts of ambition after a note has been sent home. Um, you know, Mark's creativity far outweighs his ability to follow rules. And I'm like, that's a great report card. And everyone's like, that's a terrible report card. But it's again, it's like, you know, one thing that I'm, one thing I'm hearing, man, is that, let me think of the right way to say this. Okay. So maybe even prior to coming on this call, being so uh, a huge fan of your work again, like you are, uh, you know, uh, kind of like the founder of the field, right? Like this is like, for people that don't know, again, if people don't, if, if you don't know this shit, like this is like, 
the Phil Jackson triangle offense mindset. Like, 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 no, it's true, man. It's true. Like, don't downplay it. I'm, I'm learning how to say thank you, by the way. So you should say oh, thank you. Nice. But like, thank you. this really <laughs> is like, there is a field of study that not only, again, depending on how you people measure value, it's probably brought jillions of dollars of new products and services into the world. It has changed people's lives. It has spawned multiple companies. This is a field of, of work that, in my opinion, it's the way that all work should be done. It comes from the heart. Yeah, it comes from absolutely. humans, right? All but work. It, it, all work should come from, from the heart. But it's not, when I'm thinking back through like, oh man, dude founded Gravity Tank and he built this cool thing and then it sold Salesforce and then he built this and he built this. One thing I'm hearing that is like really the thread that, that you're kind of uh, is tying through all of it is that you are actually teaching people, whether directly or indirectly, either by example or by process or by project, you're really teaching people a different way to think, a different way to work, and you're showing them the other side of like what's possible. And so, yes. you know, it, it, there's a lot of teaching. And, and I want to be really clear about when I say teaching, teaching you know, I don't know what the relationship between teaching and mentoring and guiding and exploring sure. and facilitating, that's all these words. But when we say teaching, we yeah. picture a person at a board with a lot of people in front of them. And what I'm seeing here, man, is that everything that you've done is taking the de-risking a lot of these efforts to be like, it is possible. It does work. I believe in it. Finding people that you can trust and believe in and then teaching them a way that life can go on and things can happen and just really teaching them this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that's, and when you say teaching, I do believe it's about being shoulder to shoulder about doing it with people, not telling them what they should do. Uh, so the degree to which, uh, you know, you can share an idea and then people work that through how they're thinking about the world and then they can come back to you and you can help them see it in their world versus what you've done or how you've used it. I mean, remaining humble uh, and realizing that other people have to find a way to deploy it, have to find a way to get that entree. That's why I'm so curious about, you know, those small steps that you could take because you're going to find an opening. It never happens with a big crescendo of the, the, this, you know, the, the sky's opening. This is a step-by-step, -step, a consistent nudge-by-nudge habit that forms in the way you work, the way you think, that is just more creative, engaged, that, you know, you start to feel, uh, hey, I should go talk to that person. And when, you know, prior, your thinking would be, I could never do that, or that person's inaccessible, or we can't do it because of the conditions now, your mind immediately goes, wait, what was that thought? No, go do it. <laughs> like, it's this, it's this listening to your creative mind that's making these suggestions of interesting way of doing it or seeing the insight and not dismissing that as not possible, but pursuing it. And so, yeah, I think teaching is all about, sure, being transparent and showing examples and encouraging and telling at some point, like, here's my experience, but then it is, how do you support them in their journey? And yeah. I, I, one more shout out to um, some educators, Mike and Kathy McCoy, who ran the design uh, program at Cranbrook Academy of Art for 25 years. They eventually left there and came to IIT for a few years. What I saw in them is really this, um, this behavior of, because th what they did at Cranbrook is they basically said, come to Cranbrook not to learn our way of doing it, but to find your way of doing it. And they were so supportive and finding the creativity and the style and the way somebody else thought and then helping that person live that, that was a huge inspiration to me because engineering and IIT in general, the Institute of Design has a very particular way of doing their design work, of doing their design thinking. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was fairly rigid. And if you didn't fall into that, you were pretty much ostracized. And I still, as a teacher there, um, kind of share with people, like there were students that were shunned because they didn't think about design in that way that went on to be very successful in their own way. And I was like, see, you shouldn't be talking down about them at the faculty meeting because they're gonna find a way to be successful because they're creative in their own way. And it may not be the IIT way, but by mm -hmm. golly, don't <laughs> talk bad about them, like celebrate them for who they are and help them Seriously. on their journey. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like a terrible student, like as you 
I yeah. alluded to, like starting in third grade. But then I went on, I was a teacher. I was a public school teacher for like 13 years. I won like the Golden Apple Award for basically being nice. like the anti-teacher's teacher, right? So yes. it's like teaching these people of like, hey, I might not fit the way you want, but look at these kids, man. Look what they're doing. You know, yeah. we're, I think, again, it Good goes back to- we're all human. We're all inquisitive. Like I, you know, being a, being like a, you know, like a, what was I at the time? Probably like a, a 20 something year old, like, you know, Jewish dude on the West side of Chicago teaching all, you know, pr- primarily low income Hispanic students. Like you had to have empathy. That's actually what I remember thinking about when I Absolutely. first discovered this, when I first even discovered design thinking, I was like, wait, wait, this, that's what it's called. Like, like putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And like, I mean, I used to, I remember I, I, I taught in a, in a school before I came back to Chicago, the air, this school that I taught at Chris, it, it pulled its students from two major geographic areas. One was the wealthiest neighborhood in normal Illinois, Bloomington, <laughs> Illinois, where like the CEO of like Mitsubishi and State Farm, where they all lived. And right. then the other was the trailer park. And so these two, two very different demographics would come together into this one school. And I was their teacher as my second year teaching. And I remember right. I would go to the trailer park and I would walk around and I knock on doors and I talk to people because I you. wanted to check in on stuff, but that empathy and that ability to, to see how other people live, that's where those connections, that, that, that understanding, that insight, that's where these things come alive, man. Um, so I, I, I guess one thing, uh, I want to ask you, you know, we kind of like wrap up each episode here with asking you to fill in the blank. And so, by the way, this has been like so awesome. Thank you so much for your time, man. I mean, it's so clear that, um, you know, uh, I can't imagine what your days are like and and you have so much uh, great stuff that you're working on. So thanks for making the time. But I am going to ask you to to play the game and fill in the blank. Chris Conley thinks differently about. So I'll. (laughs) <laughs> there's two answers. Bring one, them answer both. Is, one answer is everything. And I really struggle with narrowing it down to one thing for the audience. But <laughs> I, I, you know, the theme of a lot of today's conversation was how I think very differently about work uh, and working with colleagues and clients. And I think um, if you can start thinking differently about how you approach your daily meetings uh, how you engage with your clients out of joy, relationship, um, curiosity, creativity, holding your client up instead of, you know, blaming them for being a difficult client, all these kinds of think differently about work. And because it's such a big part of our day, uh, I think that's uh, a really valuable place to, to do it, to apply it. That's awesome, man. Um, you know, people listen to this. Uh, surprisingly, I'm so stoked that people listen. Is there anything that you need help with right now? Anything that people in the audience can reach out to you if you need help with anything right now? Well, I'd love anybody's feedback um, on what you heard today that resonated with you and uh, what you'd like to hear more about. Uh, I am uh, restarting my weekly email, which I used to write yes. uh, and send out to about five or 6,000 people every week at Gravity Tank. So I'm restarting that. So if you want to sign up for that email list and uh, get an inspiring note, they're short um, and hopefully resonate with you, head over to AbundantProfessional.com and sign up for that uh, newsletter. And then uh, I can talk to you as we build a relationship over time. Awesome. Well, I'll put the links to everything we talked about will be in the show notes. Make sure I'll I'll put the link for the Abundant Professional so people can sign up for your newsletter. And again, folks, if you're listening, that means you probably trust me in some way. His emails are seriously the best. They are, they're short and it's the kind of thing that you read it and then you go back and you read it again. You're like, oh my God. And then you're just thinking about it all day. It's really, really great, great insight uh, as, as, uh, of course, we come to expect from learning to know you. So Chris, man, thank you so much for making the time. This has been a, a coffee that I think is probably again in my mind has been years in the making uh so thank you so much for making the time thanks for having me really enjoyed the conversation i appreciate you making time to let me just spout about those things i love to love to talk about so thanks again mark of course chris conley ladies and gentlemen the the abundant professional the founder the innovator the father the husband the teacher the 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 ceo the everything he's everything he is so cool and and even on the skype when we were talking you could tell he was uncomfortable but oh my god how cool is that dude you know the one thing that really just sticks out to me it's such a high level about this episode is that we truly can think differently we can work differently we can be 
differently. And so find the little things in your life that, that you're just not happy about. Attending, you know, lame meetings or, you know, whether it's the way you're organized at home or things in your life, you can do them differently. You just got to take that first step. Just like you said, take the first step in getting it done. And so, Chris, if you're listening to this, and I hope you are, thank you, man. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for, you know, leading the charge to think and work differently. Ladies and gentlemen, head on over to AbundantProfessional.com. Sign up for Chris's weekly newsletter. You won't be disappointed. I just want to thank you all again. This was a special 25th episode of the Think Differently podcast, and I am going to continue this podcast as long as I have air in my lungs and creativity in my bones. So thank you all for being a part of it. As always... Thank you to Littlefoot Coffee, the official sponsor of the Think Differently podcast. You can head on over to littlefootcoffee.com, use promo code MARK, and save 10% off your order. Or if you really want love coffee and want to be a part of their subscription service, you can use promo code MARK and save 20% off your order. But as always, from Chicago, Illinois, this is Mark Hands inspiring and challenging you to think differently. <laughs>